You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. Just four days away from Christmas. Anybody excited? Yeah. Don't tell them to be quiet. I think you ought to be excited. It's okay to be excited. We don't do that around here. We don't, we don't get excited about stuff. Well, if we don't have anything to get excited about, I mean, if there's anything on this earth to get excited about, the fact that Jesus Christ came, I believe, is what we ought to be excited about. Amen? <laughs> we are looking forward to a, a wonderful uh, wonderful time as, uh, as well. We hope that you and your family will make plans to join us Christmas Eve and uh, invite you to come as we will be concluding this series, Celebrate Christmas. Our uh, final Celebrate Christmas uh, uh, service will be on Christmas Eve, and uh, there's an opportunity for you, both a, a 5 o'clock and a 7 o'clock service, and so encourage you to make plans to come and be a part of that and uh, come and celebrate with us as we look forward to uh, this time together and make it a part of your schedule and uh, come and, and uh, join us uh, for that great night. Be a one-hour uh, service, roughly one hour, uh, music, worship, and uh, drama, as well as a candlelight service. And so it'll be just a meaningful time and uh, be a great party. And so uh, it will be a party atmosphere that will celebrate together. And so we look forward to that on uh, Christmas Eve, uh, which will be this Wednesday. So come and be a part of it. Uh, we've been talking about the, the Celebrate Christmas and uh, just our, our series over the last couple of weeks, uh, looking at how uh, individuals in the Old Testament, or, or I'm sorry, in the New Testament, responded to the announcement of the Messiah coming. And uh, we continue that this morning. And, and let me just uh, catch, uh, catch this this morning, that celebration is not the result of the events in our life or circumstances, but rather the celebration is the result of how we respond to life circumstances. It's not the events themselves. We don't celebrate because there's an event to celebrate. We celebrate, celebration is caused because of how we respond to life circumstances. How many would recognize that there are moments in life that you don't feel like celebrating? There are situations you don't feel like celebrating. And so we might look and say, we don't have reason to celebrate. We don't feel like celebrating. Things aren't going that well. Things aren't that good. And we can look and celebration is not the result of life circumstances, but rather is the response or how we respond to life circumstances. The way that we respond to life circumstances consider or bring about the result of a celebration in our life. The Bible makes it clear that this is the day that the Lord has made I will celebrate. I will rejoice and be glad in it. There is a desire. We celebrate not just because it's Christmas season. We celebrate because Christmas is all year round that Jesus Christ has come. He is with us. He's God Emmanuel. And for that reason, we have reason to celebrate. As we celebrate, and we talked about over the last couple of weeks, we looked at Elizabeth, and she celebrated. She was pregnant with, with John the Baptist. She was six months pregnant. And here is this woman who is barren, and the Bible says that she was very old. The possibilities of her having a child was zilt. It seemed impossible. It was not likely, but God made possible an opportunity. God made what was impossible possible. And she leaped over those years of being barren, 
those, those years of being without and this, this response of leaping, have you skipped again? We were ringing the bells yesterday and as, as we were ringing the bells, I saw from a dense, the distance as I was walking back out and uh, there was a couple that put some money in the, uh, in the, the kettlebells and each with a bag in hand, they went off, they crossed the traffic there at the mall and they started down the aisle towards their car and then they started skipping. How many know we ought to skip in life? Let me ask you, have you been skipping lately? When was the last time you were skipping? We talked before that we, we saved that for, for, you know, young kids. They skip, and when young kids are skipping, the old people look at them and say, oh, well, they'll quit one day. When they get old, they'll stop that. When they get old, they'll quit skipping. But I pray that we don't quit because as a child, feeling protected, and, and we said before that, yes, there's life's problems, but those life problems are not ours because we cast our cares upon God. We keep skipping. He's in charge. He's in control. Let's not let our hearts be filled with joy and with anticipation. We talked as well about the shepherds as they were guarding the sheep, and their response to celebrating the coming of Christ was that they had to leave their sheep behind. The Bible says that they left their guard. They left guarding the sheep. They were guarding the sheep, but they left and went to celebrate. And sometimes in order for us to celebrate, we've got to let down some guards. We've got to let down some things that we're guarding, some things that we're putting up. And because they left, they were not just at a place to have hearing faith. They didn't just hear about the good news. They were able to leave that behind and come and now see with their own eyes. They went from a hearing faith to a seeing faith. That when we trust God and we allow sometimes to step out from those things that we're either hiding behind or those things that we build up a defense and, and, and we build up a, just the, the, the separation, but we lay those things down and allow God to bring us to a place where we don't just hear that he's able, but we see with our own eyes that he's able, that he's able to do great things. This morning, I want to talk about the life of Joseph and look out, not the life of Joseph but, Joseph, but how he responded to this situation when he learned of the Messiah coming. In Matthew chapter 1, is where we find the scripture, and this is where Joseph, the father, or the, 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 uh, the soon-to-be husband of Mary, this is where Joseph learns of the situation of the miracle of Jesus Christ being born. Matthew chapter 1, starting verse 18. I want to look today, maybe there's some fears that we have to deal with. There's some fears that we have to deal in our lives and we have to address. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Now keep in mind, this is Matthew, who is a former tax collector. He's very detailed. Matthew's laying it out right now. He said, this is how it happened. This is what took place. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good and just man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus." For he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God is with us. 
When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Father, I thank you for this opportunity as we look at your word. And I pray, God, today that you would help us, Lord, to respond maybe to some fears that we might be facing. God, I pray that you would give us insight, understanding. I pray your Holy Spirit would cause us to not just be hearers of words spoken today, but God, to implement and to see your work done in our lives. God, help us to celebrate. God, help us to celebrate fully the, the meaning, the heart of Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Much is made, of course, of Mary, and we often hear of Mary's participation. She played a big role. She was willing, and in fact, the angel came to her and said, Blessed are you, Mary, that you will conceive. And of course, Mary's response says, How in the world can I give birth to a child? I'm a virgin. And the angel said, But what is impossible with man is possible with God, that God makes all things possible. And she hears that response, and this is what she says in return. Then be it unto me according to your word. Then according to your word, let it happen. As your word is spoken, let it be. Much is made of Mary and her willingness, but we've also got to recognize Joseph in the role that he played. There was a willingness in Joseph, a willingness of him. And in fact, you think about his responsibility. Joseph, your job is to mentor and to raise the Son of God, to influence the Son of God and to teach him early life skills and to raise him so that he might be ready to go save the world. No pressure. You are the earthly father. Now, there's none of us here today, dads. We're not raising the son of God. There's only one. He's already, he's already been born. He's already given his life and he rose again and he's seated at the right hand of the father and pretty soon we're gonna see him again. We're, none of us are, are in that role, but all of us are carrying and raising John the Baptist who are preparing the way of the Lord, who are, who are called in this generation in a voice in a wilderness to, pro- to proclaim the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. So we have that responsibility. We have that call and that great responsibility. Here's Joseph carrying the responsibility to influence the Son of God, to raise him up, knowing his purpose. Joseph, of course, the, his, his, his response in this whole thing and the, the whole way this came about was he fell in love with Mary. Mary caught his eye. They were, they grew up in the same town and, and he probably worked with his dad at the, at the, the carpentry shop and he was, had, his, had the work that was done and Mary would come around and he would flex when he, she saw Mary coming around. He would, he would carry that log and all of a sudden that log got heavy when Mary showed up. He, he fell in love with Mary and, and he, uh, of course, makes a commitment to Mary and they, the Bible says, are engaged to be married. Now, there's this engagement that's different than in our culture. In that culture, when you made an engagement, that was just as good as the promise to marry. In order to break off an engagement, it was still called a divorce. You were still, you were still unbinding a legal commitment or something that was put together. When you were engaged, it was, everybody would celebrate the engagement. That was the wedding feast, the celebration that the wedding's going to happen. The actual wedding ceremony was not a public event. The wedding ceremony was when the husband or the man and woman moved in together. They now lived together. And in that moment of living together, they started making a family. You know how that works. And they didn't invite anybody to that. Only God was invited to that ceremony. That's the wedding ceremony in the Bible. They had this commitment 
to one another. They were honoring God and, and they're not married yet. They're just engaged but it's the commitment already that they've made. Joseph, of course, is, is in this, this whole role of, of looking forward to their life together. The dream of everything is coming and taking place. He knew that he was going to be the next carpenter in the family. He's going to take over the family business. Everything's happening just the way it should. He's going to marry Mary. They're going to have children. He's going to raise other carpenters in the business. Things are going to go well. He's dreaming and living the dream until all of a sudden Mary's pregnant and it kind of put a wrench in the plans. Just a small thing that Mary is pregnant and in that moment, everything that he had planned and thought was good was now in an unexpected interruption. Have you ever had life where it seemed like everything was going good until this unexpected interruption just showed up? We often hear the story of Joseph and we read it with, from the hindsight of the divine intervention. But we forget sometimes that, yes, there's the divine intervention, but there was the great tension going on in the, in the midst of that announcement. We read it like, oh, look how great God orchestrated and put everything together. And we forget to put ourselves in that moment and to see the tension that would have been taking place. You know what it's like to have everything seemingly going so well until an unexpected doctor's report. Until an unexpected repair bill. Until an unexpected tension in a relationship. Everything's going good until that phone call that came out of nowhere. And everything in that moment, it, it is perceivingly in everything going the way it's supposed to go until something happens and messes it up. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure there's a lot of hands that would go up and say, Yep, I know what it's like to seem like everything's good and out of nowhere. What? I mean, this is Joseph. We've got plans. We're going to get married. And now all of a sudden you're going to tell me you're pregnant. This situation comes and, and, and we can look at, at all kinds of moments. And, and us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we love this scripture. In fact, it's my wife's favorite scripture. If you ask Jody, what's your favorite scripture? She'll say Romans eight twenty eight. For we know this, that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's her favorite scripture. And I'm sure there's many of you here today. That's my favorite scripture too. We know or you may have heard that scripture and you think of that. And when you look forward with anticipation, you say, yes, God works all things together for good. And you're anticipating, you're looking forward. But when you're going through junk, you have a problem with that scripture. Be real this morning. God, your word says that you work all things together for good. I'm going to believe you because you work all things together for good. But what I'm going through right now, I don't see any good in this. And this situation of, of this tension at that moment and saying, God, I believe your word that you work all things together for good, but what I'm going through is not too good right now. I, can you imagine, Joseph? Lord, I've served you. I'm a just man. The Bible even said it itself about me. I'm good. I'm just. I do good things. Why did this have to happen? Why did this have to come into the midst? Why did this? And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, because it was God's plan. Oh, it's easy for you to say, how about in your own life? It's easy for you to say, oh, well, of course, that just happened for Joseph. That was God's will, and God was working that out. And we believe that when it's God's story about Joseph. But how about when we're going through it? Say, God, you, this interruption affected my life. But having the attitude that God works all things together for good, are we willing to trust and believe that even in the midst of what seems like an unfortunate, an unexpected interruption in what we thought was good, God still works. There's a story of a... African king who loved to hunt and he would go hunting on every occasion and he had a sidekick one of his friends and and he would always go along on the hunts 
And this, uh, this king one day as they went out hunting, the king of the tribe, he, he went hunting with, his, with the friend. They took him along and, and his job was to, was to prepare the gun for the king. And so the king would take it and he would, he would put the ammo in, make it ready. And he handed it to the king one day. And when he did, he accidentally set it off and it shot the king's thumb off. The problem, or not problem, but this guy's response, he was a friend of the king. And the way he responded to everything, good or bad, well, that's good. If it was a bad thing, he would still say, well, that's good. Well, that day he shot the king's thumb off. And the king, of course, responded. The the man looked at him. The friend said, well, that's good. And the king said, this isn't good. You just shot my thumb off. You're going to jail. He takes him back to the village, puts him into prison, and leaves him there. The guy's left sitting there. The king, of course, loves to hunt. He goes out again to hunt. This time, he goes somewhere about a year later or so. He goes somewhere that he should have known better. He should not have gone to this area. But when he went there, he was in a region of of cannibal tribes. And there was a tribe that came and captured him one day. The king was captured, and the king was taken to be eaten. They tied him up, and just as they were ready to light the fire, one of them saw that his thumb was missing. Immediately they stopped. They were superstitious. They said, we never eat anybody who's not whole. So they untie the king and they set him free. And the king recognizing it was good. He goes all the way back to the guy in prison. He says, listen, I've left you in jail for a year. You shot my thumb off. It was a good thing. I'm so sorry. And he says to him, he says, it's all good. It's not good. I shouldn't have left you in jail. The the friend said to him, oh, it's good. He said, how can it be good? The friend said, if, you, if I would have been in, not been in jail, I would have gone with you. And we would have hunted together. And I have both thumbs. It's good. It's good. Your life that you're going through, the circumstance right now, you don't see it yet. But it's good. God's going to bring good out of it. And I know you would look at it and say, how can God bring any good? Because as, as Alicia already said, what was meant for evil, God has used and can turn it for good. Do you believe that there's an author who is greater than life circumstances in your life? Do you believe that there's a God who says, I'm not finished. I'm still working in the midst of what you're facing. What you're going through today is not good. Oh, Joseph, this isn't good. I mean, let's be real. Joseph grew up in the culture and the time that you could be stoned to death for adultery. He was a Jew, a good practicing Jew. And if you and your fiance or someone had had a child or were pregnant outside of marriage, outside of the bonds, or you were in a, an adulterous relationship, or at worst, Mary, because it wasn't Joseph's child, she could have been put to death. That's not good. I mean... You can look and read the whole story of how it comes together and you forget sometimes the tension that might be there. The tension, of course, that here's Joseph and he's in the midst and he has this this opportunity that his whole world, he believes everything's going just the way it should be. I'm a carpenter, I'm gonna have my trade, I've got a beautiful wife, or soon to have a beautiful wife, everything's going good. Until. It says, but Mary conceived a child. Here in the midst of this tension, the angel shows up, and in verse 20, here's what the angel says. Listen to what the angel says to Joseph. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel comes along, 
and addresses the tension that Joseph is going through. Here's the tension. And the angel calls it out right away. Do not be afraid. He addresses the issue of fear. Fear comes in many forms, in many ways for each of us. But I believe there's one universal fear that cramps us and holds us and limits us from the ability to celebrate God fully in our lives. Many times we're cramped by this fear, and that is the fear of what other people think. I don't know how it applies in your life, but I believe to some degree every single one of us are affected by what people think. You imagine what Joseph is going through? Here's the fear that he's got right now. My family could disown me because I'm now marrying a woman who in their eyes does not have a good reputation. It could affect my reputation. I could be perceived. I could be considered. I believe the root fear of what Joseph had to deal with was the fear of what other people would think. You notice people can sing real loud in their car when no one's around. But the moment you look over, you're driving next to them in their car, and you see them, it looks like they're singing. All of a sudden, they act like they were yawning. I mean, somebody could break into a dance when nobody's looking. They could just be free, but the moment someone catches them, oh, just stretching. You know, you tend to do a lot. You tend to be free, more free, when no one's around. Now, I realize that could be the same in, in, the, in the negative because how you act in the dark is who you really are in public. So what you permit yourself to do by watching television and things that you do in, the, in, the, in private, that's who you really are. Who you are is not what you do in public. Who you are is what you do when no one's watching. And here's Joseph. He's concerned about people because here's what it says. He had plans to divorce her privately, secret. Let's do this without anybody knowing. Let's keep this hush-hush. Let's leave this at a place where nobody knows. Let's leave it at a place where, where we, we don't have to worry what people think. Some of us can't truly celebrate Christmas because we've loaded ourselves down with the pressure of trying to fit into the perfect image of what everybody thinks we ought to be. And when I say Christmas, I don't just mean the season. Why is it that too much of our lives are all focused about presenting the right image by what I buy, what I live in, what I do, the things I'm about. We have this desire. And I know all of us, there's some of us kids here. No, I don't care what anybody thinks. I think to some degree you all, all of us care about what people think. I know I do. I know there are times, in fact, I want you to ask yourself, what is it I would do differently if I didn't care people thought about it, what people thought about it? How would I act differently in my school if I didn't care what people said? How would I treat my wife differently if I didn't care what people would think when I'm with her in public? How would I, how would I act differently in the place where I am? And the answer to that question needs to be followed up with another question. Does that honor God? Because if there is a fear of what people might think, then maybe it might be because you don't want that reputation. And if that reputation doesn't honor God, then you better deal with that. The number one thing we ought to have is, of course, does it honor God? We can't just have this attitude of, I don't care what people think. Because if you lump that into, I don't care what people think, you might even throw that into, I don't care what God thinks. That's a danger. Don't go that far. 
But if it honors God and you're hindered to do it and you're not doing what honors God because you're concerned about what people might think. How many are following me? That is a cramped life. You know how hard it is to breathe in that space where I got to do this, I got to say this, I got to be this, I got to act this, I got to... But to be in this relationship with God, here's Joseph, of course, he's concerned of what people might say. And notice here that it says that Joseph was a just man or a righteous man. Now, you and I would look at that and we would, we would give accolade to Joseph. That Joseph, you are, you're a good guy, you're merciful, you're good, you want to treat Mary right. And I believe that was at the heart of him. But that word just doesn't mean merciful. That word just means this. To have a perception to have it all together. In fact, when it's just in the, in the Greek definition, it would simply mean this. The, the definition of just is of those who seem to themselves to be righteous, who pride themselves in their virtues, whether they are real or imagined. They are more pride. They're more concerned with image that they are just. And here's Joseph. He could have been living and had this attitude and said, God, I'm not going to marry her because what would people think? I'm a just man. I don't do that. I'm not engaged in that kind of stuff. I'm a just man. By the letter of the law, he had every reason that he could have withstood or said, I'm not going into that relationship. And I know we often read this and think, my, how God was just orchestrating and putting everything together he was but do you realize what Joseph the fear that Joseph had to deal with and lay down in order to step into that role he had to step in to this willingness and availability to say God I'm going to trust you according to how it looks to everybody else this could cost me you see Joseph when he his desire of, uh, of being just and, and you can look at that Joseph could say I'm not stepping into that because I'm a just man and how many know then his justification was all more with how he was perceived. He was more concerned with how people would see him. Does that make sense? He could have said, I'm not marrying her. I'm not stepping into this situation. I'm not doing this. This isn't going to look good. This isn't going to go well. He could have been so consumed or concerned by what people think. But he came to a place. And here, Joseph was not a, that, that's not to say that he was a bad guy. It's to say that he had to deal with this real thing. And he had to evaluate his value system. He had to ask himself, is stepping into this role worth the ridicule that it might take cost me? Is this worth the singled out treatment that I might get? Is this worth, young person, is this worth standing up for God and talk about, here we got Mary in this case, that Mary and Joseph could have been ridiculed because they weren't virgins. How many know we live in a world turned upside down because now they're students being ridiculed, ridiculed because they are virgins? Can I tell you, young people, don't ever think it's a bad thing to say and admit and to keep yourself holy and pure unto God and to say that I'm a virgin. That's not a bad thing. You might live in a world that says, oh, you'll get made fun of because you don't sleep around. You don't do that stuff. You don't act like that. Can I tell you, it only takes a moment to become like that. Why waste in a moment when God can bless and make fruitful and give you, give you a blessing for a longer period of time? I had a guy who said one time at a youth camp that I was at as a teenager, he said, he said uh, young man, he said, let everybody say what they want. You, and he, this was his response. He said, just tell them this. It would take me one night to become like you, but it's take you a lot longer to become like me. Listen, that's not a, I want you to hear that. 
There's a God who can restore and redeem. My point is this. Don't let a world single you out and make you feel like you're going to be ridiculed and made fun of. I want you to know, because even if maybe, maybe your story isn't that you've honored God with your body, maybe that's, that's the case, and, and, and you're at a place where you're, you, you've made decisions, you can't go back and change them, but you know this, that there's a God that as you step in today, he's a God who makes all things new. He can cause a new day and a new season in your life. He can restore those things, and here's what I'm saying. Don't be afraid to stand out, to be different. Man, husband, in your workplace, when everybody else talks to great about their wives. What do you do? Oh, I've got one of those wives too. Or do you just stand up and say, no, I've got a wife who honors me and I honor her. I'm not going to talk down my wife because that's the thing to do. I want, you know, that's a bunch of garbage when a bunch of guys get around and talking about their wives like they're just this, they're just that. They just complain. That's who they are. I never want to be heard saying anything about my wife. She's a blessed jewel of mine. The Lord gave her to me. It's my job to protect her, to keep her and to love her. I'm not going to fall into what everybody else is saying. I've got a responsibility, and fear could make you feel like I've got to become like everybody else. Why is it in your teenage years, I'm not just preaching teenagers this morning, but teenagers, hear, hear this. Why is it in your teenage years, everybody can, does everything they can to try and make you like everybody else, but then when everybody becomes old, they're looking for that diamond in the rough and that gem that's like no one else? Why is it? In your teenage years, they want everybody to just become like everybody else. But when you get older, you're looking for that one person that's just that special, that, that person who's out there. Why? Because there's something about growing up. Here's what I say. Have wisdom and grow up before everybody else grows dumb. <laughs> grow up. Know that you, you say, man, I, I need to fit in. You know what it's going to cost you to fit in? You say, well, do you know what it's going to cost me to stand out? Yeah. Joseph knew what it would cost. I've got this fear that I could be ridiculed because I'm going to step into this relationship. And you've got to ask yourself, is it going to be worth it? Or do I just keep living the life of trying to be like everybody else? I just live the life of trying to fit in. Why is it that everybody else, everybody wants you to participate in that party atmosphere, in that party thing, but you forget to see all the people who are doing everything they can to break, a, to break a mold and to break the addiction that they've become. You see, the enemy forgets to tell you the whole story. And some of you have seen the whole story and you're still going down the wrong track. I, I'm, I feel just a real tug to teenagers this morning. Uh, that Don't ignore me, mom and dad or everybody else, but I just feel there's teenagers here today. The Holy Spirit wants to get a hold of you. You've seen, you've seen the stupidity lived out in front of you and you're still walking in a direction. And you might say, well, here's my reason for that because I don't trust the things of God because I've watched people who said they're of God and serving the Lord and they're making foolish decisions. You know what I say to you? I say, may the grace and mercy of God overflow in your heart because we can't justify what people do. But we have to ask ourselves, will I step out and honor God, not because this is what so-and-so said, but because I believe he is worthy of my life. Joseph had to come to that decision. And I think the greatest fear, one of the fears that before we can get to that, is the fear of what people might think. The fear of what people might consider, might think, man, God wants you to dance again. I'm so glad that couple that went skipping down the mall aisle of the parking lot didn't care what anybody else might think. Tell you what, it made me smile. 
You say, somebody might think something of me. Then it might be that we're more concerned. And, and I'm going to ask Ashley to come. And Can I just challenge you with this thought this morning? Could it be that too much of our so-called ministry has not become pure unto the Lord, but has become polluted and filtered by what pleases so-and-so? I would lift my hands to God, but what's so-and-so going to think? I remember being a teenager, and the first time I lift my hands to give praise to God, I wasn't doing it to fit in. I was doing it because I remember as an 11 or 12-year-old, there was something in my spirit that just said, God, you're so real, and you're worth giving everything I've got. And as a young 11 or 12-year-old or whatever it was, it was just this response of, God, you're worth everything I've got. And this expression of praise. And I remember, I remember thinking, man, my friends are going to think I'm an idiot. I remember as a teenager, young kid, not even a teenager yet, having to deal with, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm probably going to have to quit worrying about what people think. Because if I let people be my guide, I'm probably not going to follow Jesus too far. If I let people be my guide, I'm probably not going to go too far with Jesus. I'm probably going to take an exit ramp somewhere. I'm going to, this isn't worth it. This is too difficult. See, we're so caught up in the image. Can I tell you, it cramps doing ministry sometimes. Because I got to make sure everybody's okay. You know, there's certain things you haven't said because you don't want it to hurt somebody. I've been asking God, God, give me wisdom and help me know when it's wisdom to keep my mouth shut and when it's fear that's keeping my mouth shut. Some of you need to know that too. God, when is it wisdom that I keep my mouth shut? But God, help me know also, when is it fear that's keeping my mouth shut? Because there are times I need to say things that's not comfortable. But it might be wisdom. But it also could be fear. And if fear is dictating and driving... How's the kingdom of God advancing? Joseph would have been left out of the picture had fear controlled him. But the angel came along and said, do not be afraid. Some of you, there's some conversations you might need to have that you're afraid of having. And before you have them, say, God, give me wisdom to say what I need to say. God, give me wisdom to address this situation that might be going on. Give me wisdom. Because how many know he'll give it to you if you ask? Whatever it is today that you might be afraid of. Here's Joseph and he comes to this place. And he laid it all on the line. He steps out. And I believe this scripture came to his mind in Isaiah 7. That a virgin will conceive. And she will name him. And his name will be called Emmanuel. Who is Emmanuel? God with us. You know what can cause my fear to be gone? He's with me. That unexpected situation that's just showed up in your life, that doctor's report, that unexpected bill, that difficult situation, you look at it, you say, God, this isn't good, but somehow you're gonna, I'm going to trust you. You're going to make good out of this. I'm going to trust you. You say, God, you're in the midst of what I'm going through right now. How many know that when God is with you, all fear is gone? Because he's with you, He gives you a hope. He 
It gives you a hope. God, I don't know what's going to happen. Hey, Joseph, you ready for this? Not only are you going to be put your reputation on the line, but just when you get comfortable in Bethlehem, you're going to have to run for your life in Egypt, to Egypt. Joseph, are you ready for this? Joseph somewhere said, yeah, I trust him. I trust him. 1963 was a young couple who had having the child and wife was pregnant and the husband had been fighting mono and just difficulty. Mono itself wasn't the big issue, but what happened is it was all in the time when the church that they were serving in was uprised. There were people who were, who were, who were slandering them. They had little connection and friends around. It was everything falling apart. Everything that they didn't expect to happen was happening. Life was in an uproar. And this young mother, pregnant, began to cry and just said, God, how can I bring a child into this mess? God, how can I bring a child into this mess, this, this difficulty, this situation? And as that young woman cried that night, says she was overwhelmed by the peace and the presence of God. And that young couple, Bill and Gloria Gaither, penned a song that said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds my future. And this situation is worth the living. It's worth it. It's worth what I'm going through right now. It's worth it because I know that he'll bring me to the greater. You see, my perceived good is nothing compared to his divine good. Think about that this morning. Joseph had everything good. I could, I'm gonna, I've, I've got the family business. I'm going to get married. Everything's going good. Halt. Mary's pregnant. And we look at it today and see the divine intervention of God. Amen? Let me ask you today. Are we willing to let go of our perceived good that we might receive his divine work in our life? The God who works in ways beyond what we can ever imagine. So whatever fear you've got today, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes this morning. And as we close, Ashley's going to just sing this song. And I want you to hear these words today and know that he is Emmanuel. He's God with you. His name is called Jesus. And allow him just to bring peace and comfort to you this morning. As we just sing this song just before we go. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.